Whether it's running, hiking, biking, golfing, or even working, Curex insoles can help your patients live healthy and active lifestyles. Using the latest medical and biomechanics research, Curex insoles are engineered for unequaled comfort, performance, and injury prevention. With its patented dynamic arch technology that enables the ideal ratio of flexibility and rigidity, Curex insoles properly support the foot and its natural movement for ideal knee and hip alignment. And because no two patients are alike, Curex offers a full line of highly customised insoles available in high, medium and low arch profiles. Learn more about the science behind Curex and sign up for a free sample at medical.curex.us. That's medical.currex.us. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Welcome to another episode of our Sports Corner series. Today, we're sitting down with Dr. Amelia Arendale from the Red Bull Training Center to learn more about treating extreme athletes, as well as to learn about her process for treating high-level athletes that oftentimes participate in sports that she may not be personally familiar with. Dr. Amelia Arendale is a physical therapist and researcher originally from Fairbanks, Alaska. Amy spent three years at the Brooklyn Nets as a physical therapist and biomechanist. Today, Amy works as a physical therapist at Red Bull's Athlete Performance Center in Thalgau, Austria, working with soccer players as well as athletes across Red Bull's vast athletic disciplines. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Amy, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. First and foremost, can you just kind of give our listeners a breakdown of what your day, typical day-to-day looks like and what 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 is the population that you're typically working with? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. So my day-to-day, basically, it's an interdisciplinary performance center. So we will have athletes who will come in for rehab. They might come in for long, long rehab stays, or they might come in for one to two weeks then go home for a little while, come back to us for one to two weeks, go home for a little while. But we'll also have athletes come in for like training stays or training blocks. So maybe an athlete might come in for a couple of weeks, a really focused training. They might come in for like a preseason block. And we'll also have athletes who just come in for testing. Maybe they're new to Red Bull. Maybe it's just kind of a yearly check-in. They might come in for one, two, three days of pretty intensive testing. So that's across the board, everything from like a head to toe orthopedic check with a physio to labs and a medical check with our doctors. They might get like an echo, they'll have blood labs, they'll have respiratory tests. They'll probably do like a VO2 test depending on their sport. They'll have strength analysis, coordination analysis, like so like 3D motion analysis. They'll meet with our nutritionists. They'll meet with our mental performance specialists. It's really a like 
whole athlete centered place. So regardless of then like kind of what the athletes come into us, that's the approach. So that's kind of the center, the day to day for me, you know, we generally start out, we have a morning meeting. That's a whole interdisciplinary meeting. Now, sometimes that's more scheduling to make sure everybody's on the same page and each athlete has what they need. Sometimes that's really just focused on running through the athletes that we have in the house where they are, what they're doing, what each specialty is focused on. Maybe there's things that have come up overnight that we need to make sure the rest of the team's aware of, or just going through the plan for that athlete for the day to make sure, you know, say in physio, I have planned, we're going to do a really kind of quad heavy day, make sure that they don't then get loaded, get their quads loaded in their strength and conditioning session. And suddenly we blow out our athlete. So making sure we have a good plan both for the day, for the week, make sure everybody's kind of on the same page. And that's how we kind of start the morning. And then on any given day or any given week, really full caseload for me would be three or four athletes. Ideally, we actually only have one to two athletes, especially if those are rehabbed, but just because it takes so much planning to carry out a really good rehab in our, our type environment. You know, I might spend anywhere from 30 minutes with an athlete all the way up to, you know, have two 90 minute sessions with an athlete in any given day. So that could be active, that could be passive, it can be a combination of both, whatever that athlete needs. So that's in-house. We do do some out-of-house coverage. So for example, I coordinate and work with a lot of the mountain bikers. I'll once in a while go to say like the mountain biking world cup stop and spend four or five days covering the event. And so most of the time that's supporting our athletes. I don't have to do any of the like emergency on mountain rescue. It's all the preparation, you know, getting athletes ready to go. It's all the recovery, helping them make sure that they're ready for, you know, they finish qualifying, make sure they're ready for finals. And then anything that comes up along the way. So evaluating and treating, you know, if somebody falls in qualification, getting them ready for finals, things like that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I knew that what you did was cool. First, I want to ask, what does a full day of rehab look like? Because I'm going to go ahead and say that most of our listeners, that's not how we function. <laughs> Even though nope. we're at like the, if we're like pros or college, like one, like four um, sessions a day would be ridiculous. What does a full day of rehab look like? Using an ACL, for example, say one of our soccer players. So they'll come in in the morning, you know, depending on the schedule, you know, they might start at 8 30, 9 o'clock. They'll normally come in, have physio session. Maybe it's like an hour. That's our kind of check-in. Like, how are you doing? How do you respond to yesterday's training? Or if it's Monday, you know, what'd you do over the weekend? It's really nice because you have the flexibility and the time to really have some of those conversations with athletes that in other venues you may not. So, you know, we might have a a session in the morning that, you know, we're going to do some of our more manual, you know, maybe with me, we might have a longer session. We might go in and do some like neuromuscular control or more movement-based stuff, or they might go into the gym and have, you know, an hour and a half S&C session. You know, maybe that, that session is just a lifting session, or maybe it's lifting plus their whatever cardio load they're trying, we're trying to get them, but then they may have in any given day, mental performance, so 30, 60 minutes, that could be anything from more a psychological side of things to a more, we'll say mental side of things. Maybe that's relaxation techniques or, you know, techniques to address like fear of re-injury all the way to, you know, some of our like cognitive 
training pieces like reaction times, layering neuromuscular control with cognitive challenges that we'll sometimes do like joint physio mental performance sessions where we'll take some of the things that we're working on in physio, maybe some of your balance or control pieces and layer them with cognitive challenges. So layering in auditory, visual, proprioceptive distractions to work on things like that. With the Sports Corner series, we kind of focus on a sport and then break down that sport into different position players, different demands that the sport has. <laughs> you know, how do you look at prevention? How do you look at rehab based on the demands of that sport? But you work with so many different athletes in so many different sports. Do you have a process for breaking down and understanding the sport for your patient that you might not necessarily be super familiar with. Maybe it's not your sport background, but like for those athletes that, you know, you never play that sport. What is your process for understanding it, understanding the demands and then making sure that your treatments are not just about rehab, but like actually really optimizing the rehab for that athlete and their position in their sport? And I think it's something that I'm still refining for sure. My background's was soccer and then Australian rules football. And then I worked in basketball. So I kind of, I, I got pushed initially in learning basketball and the demands of it. Working at Red Bull has definitely taken that to a new height, whether it's cliff diving or esports to mountain biking to F1 to rally car driving to kiteboarding. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned over the course of my career, but especially at Red Bull is, is step one is getting to know the athlete, not from a, necessarily from a sports perspective, but on a human level, building that relationship from day one of we're here to help you. We're here to support you. This is a collaborative relationship and you are in the driving seat. So getting to know them? What makes them tick? What do they love? What's going on for them family-wise or relationship-wise? Who are they? You know, what makes them tick? And I think that's that's always my, my starting point. And sometimes I'll spend a lot of time on it because for me, that's really important that we're working partnership and they're driving this process. Along with that then is getting to know their goals. What are they aiming for? You know, we'll have athletes who are coming in for rehab. It's a clear goal. It could be my goals to get back to World Kite Tour. Sometimes it's totally unrelated to sport. You know, I've had athletes come in and say, my goal is to clean up my lifestyle. My goal is to become more of a professional athlete. Then we kind of do a little bit of a needs analysis. What does that athlete need to do to achieve that goal, right? Like, what is our timeline? Do we have nine months until a competition? Do we have a month till a competition? <laughs> Do we have, um, you know, six months until a project and then nine months until the Olympics? You know, and those projects sometimes can be more for our Red Bull athletes can be as demanding as competitions. But again, it's an inner it has to be an interdisciplinary needs analysis within that goal. Where do we have to prioritize? You know, it might be that the physical and this in a rehab is that priority. It might be that actually part of that mental might actually be the bigger priority. My starting point needs to be, what do you think you need to do to get back to this point? Rather than my imposing my, my ideas first, I need to know what do they think? Because a lot of times those criteria may, are probably more important and will guide our rehab maybe better than if I sit down and I say, here's our criteria for our rehab. 
And then our athletes kind of sitting on the table going, yeah, yes. So a great example, actually, working with one of the mountain bikers, I jumped in and I was like, you know, here's what I'm thinking in terms of like, you know, our, our build back from collarbone injury. Here's what I, here's what I'm thinking. We'll get you to a, get you to a push up, And then by the time we're getting to that push up point, I think we're ready to start building on the bike and, and the trail side of things. And the biker jumped in and went, actually, uh, no, actually, I actually feel like we need to do more. I feel like I need to be able to do a plyometric push up before I'm ready to be back on a downhill bike. It was kind of a good wake up call for me. And I think it's a good, it's maybe a good example of they know best. They know the demands of what they have to do. Can I then take some of those points and put maybe an objective measure to it? I've got a free skier. They might come back and say, okay, for me to feel comfortable being back on snow, I need to be able to jump and land comfortably without any pain from like a sick, we'll say a 60 centimeter box. Okay. Is that a double leg or a single leg? Single leg. Okay. Single leg landing 60 centimeter box. We can take that and work from it to say, okay, are there objective measures that I can use as our, maybe they're going to be our return to sport criteria, but then I can also work backwards and say along the way, are there some objective measures that I can start to build? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's a lot of data. There's a lot of testing. If You mentioned earlier that you almost have a full, thorough check of your athletes, almost a preventative screening. And so I can imagine with that, with that much data, some of it is going to be useful, but there's also going to be a, a probably a fair amount of noise, data that might be showing you that something is abnormal, but not necessarily pathologic or even relevant or pertinent to what they do in their sport and not definitely mm -hmm. not inhibiting. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, a method or an approach to trying to make sure that you pick up on the good, relevant, pertinent data and kind of get rid of or ignore the noise? You're right. We do have we do have the ability to do a ton of tests. There's there's two pieces. There's there's the sport hat and there's a clinical hat. From a sport perspective, right, we can think of, you know, biomechanics, we can think of the demands of sport. And that's where for us, you know, sometimes there we might have like normative data that we could be able to compare an athlete to. Sometimes we can go into the literature. A lot of times we can't. So a lot of times, you know, we are lucky in that we have a bank of data on Red Bull athletes. Then there's the clinical hat too. All right, this athlete's in front of me. Are they dealing with in injuries? Do they have an injury history? And, and where are their priorities? So I might have an athlete come in who doesn't really have much of an injury history, but based on their performance goals, that might guide what we do based on their sport demands that might guide what we do. So we'll say like ultra running, it's a pretty linear sport, maybe our athletes, you know, doesn't have any issues. What are the things that we then need to look at based on the demands of ultra running to give us some information. And then you're right, we have to filter through that and say, what might be problematic? What is probably okay? And the other piece to it is what can we change right now? You know, if we've got an athlete who's come to us and they're in the middle of season, we might not, especially if it's an endurance athlete, we probably don't want to make any changes right now. They're doing just fine. We don't want to make any changes right now. Come off season, then we might have a conversation about some of these findings. But it might be if we're in the middle of season, we might say we've tested these things. Here's the results right now. Don't worry about it. 
let's chat in the off season. It might be, you know, okay, this is preseason testing. Here's some things we think might be valuable to add into your training or add into your warm up. Are we catching all the things that we need to? Again, also hard, hard to know. And that's the nice part about having a really diverse group. So biomechanics is sitting down with S&C, is sitting down with physio to say, okay, here's their injury history. Here's their sport. What do we think we need to look at based on that? Where are some of those flags? You know, do they history, have a history of groin injury? All right, we really want to make sure we get a measure on their adductor strength. If so, how do we want to do those tests? Those are the conversations that are regularly being had and we're tailoring then to our athlete. Both then that becomes both from a testing standpoint, but when it comes to rehab, our rehab criteria are also modified in the exact same way. What are some tips and tricks that you use when you're, I mean, you talked a lot about like getting to know that athlete and talking to them. That's huge. Anything else when you're seeing an athlete and you don't understand their sport about how you figure that out? So I spent a fair amount of time on, on YouTube, on uh, Red Bull TV. <laughs> <laughs> you I know, I spend it uh, uh, like as much as I can. I'll then kind of just dive into watching it. You know, there's a lot you can learn on hate like as much as I hate to say it on YouTube and Wikipedia, but really just, you know, kind of immersing yourself and watching it that can help you certainly have an understanding for what it looks like. You know, I'd, I'd never watched kiteboarding before. I'll be honest. I actually had never really watched a lot of downhill mountain biking before. And I didn't know the difference between downhill mountain biking, Olympic cross-country mountain biking, and short track cross-country mountain biking. Yep, so yep caught me too. <laughs> there, there's, you know, like even within some of these sports, there's further disciplines. I will dig into the literature and, you know, whether it's Google Scholar or just Google, try and learn, is there anything out there on on whatever this sport is? You know, what are the common injuries that I might be expecting? What might be similar sports? Right. So, you know, within snowboarding, you've got racing, you've got half pipe, you've got slope style, you've got big air. You know, I need to understand kind of what the difference between those are, but also then what's the similarities between some of those? You know, are there differences and similarities between slope style and big air? Well, yeah, big air, your biggest thing is getting up and getting that one jump. But slope style also has some of those jumps as well. You know, or maybe it's across disciplines from breakdancing. There aren't really very similar sports, but can I look at parkour? Will that give me some information that might be similar? Can I look at artistic gymnastics? Would that give me some, some comparisons? So kind of trying to think about like, where are the similarities of this sport to other sports where I might be able to get more information? So I'll kind of dig down rabbit holes in that way as well. But then my foundation, kind of like I said, is then talking to the athlete, having those conversations of when you're on the water kiteboarding, where are your eyes? What are you paying attention to? What are you watching? You know, what are your cues to do X, Y, and Z? You know, what do you feel? Where are you paying attention? Those are the things that I can't get watching. I can't have an understanding without doing. And so my best bet is then having an understanding from, from the athlete. I love how important it is to go into specifics and not just take like a snowboarder as a snowboarder, not just like not just doing your research, right? Not just looking at the researcher, just watching other people do it, but then also getting the patient's perspective or the athlete's perspective and seeing how your understanding actually compares to their experience. 
you know, it's, it's something I think about like, yeah, the athletes that I work with are, they're all professional. They're all, they're quite elite. You know, they're grown up doing this. They've made it to this particular level, but at the same time, you know, even if you're working with, you know, youth athletes, or, you know, teenagers, I think there's still a lot of value to having some of those conversations because I can have a conversation with a soccer player. If I'm having a conversation with a 14-year-old soccer player right now, my experience when I was 14 is going to be very different from their experience playing now. So, yeah, I, I have experience and we have a we have a kind of shared bond in that, you know, we've, we've both been through this point. But I still need to understand their demands because their demands may be actually different from what I'm expecting. So I think it's one thing that you know I can talk about at this level, but it's still applicable even if you're working with novice athletes or youth athletes, developing athletes. They can still give you some, I think, really good insight as to what are the things they need to do? What are they working towards? How do they feel like it's important for them to build up? Kind of understanding the context around them and being able to tailor their rehab accordingly. So what I'm really taking away from all of this is kind of is really how incredibly humble you are. You are treating at what is arguably and what I think many PTs in, in, in the ortho and sports domains would say is really the top of our profession. And you bring nothing but humility into your interactions with these athletes. You are assuming nothing. You, you made clear that you test, don't guess in regards to interventions, and I don't think that is new to many of our listeners. But on the other side of that, you are making sure that you're, that you're asking questions and not assuming anything, not assuming you know their sport, not assuming you know their position, and even if you do, not assuming you know their experience with their sport. I think as we practice more and more and we see more and more similar injuries in similar sports, it can be easy to start assuming. Dr. Amy Rundell, thank you so much for joining us on JOSPT Insights. Thank you for having me. We want to give one last thank you to Dr. Amy Rundell for sharing her time and her expertise with us and our listeners. And as always, thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, where JOSPT official. Talk with you next time.